Amen. Hey, if you will open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19 with me this morning, uh, that is where we are going to be camping today, which is a really cheesy church joke that you'll pick up on later. Uh, I told people I wasn't going to say it, but I felt like I had to. Uh, You'll get it later, promise, promise. So uh, first off, so I'm Mitch Green. I'm the church planning resident uh, here on staff, Um, and I'll be honest, my time with you is going to be short. Um, I will only be here, Lord willing, Um, our hope is to launch a church next fall out of Redeemer Bible Church. So I'll only be here a year, and and there's already between my wife and I like bittersweet feelings because we love being here with you all. Um, Even as I was just sitting over there worshiping with you, it's just, I love to hear your voices um, as we worship the Lord, the different conversations, the way you've encouraged us, the way the team here has supported us. Um, We're just so thankful for you guys as a sending base um, for our church. And And I wanted to share this today. This is exciting news. So um, we spent some time in prayer, myself, my wife, the elders, on where would the Lord have us plant this church. And because we believe that, Lord willing, um, God is going to use Redeemer Bible Church to plant many churches in the future years. So the question wasn't like, where's the right place to plant a church? But it was, where's the Lord calling the Greens to plant a church? Where's the Lord calling Redeemer now to go plant a church? And so after months of prayer, we landed on planting a church in Perry Township. And so I'm excited to share that with you today. And we can cheer for that. So now that, that hits different people different ways, obviously. Um, there have been many people who have came up and been like, oh, we really want a church in our community. Well, like, just wait. Like, I, I really do believe the Lord could use this church to do that. You know, maybe pray more. And, you know, I'm just kidding. But, but I do believe that God is going to plant places. But if you live in Perry Township, um, I just want to ask you to be praying if this is something that you want to be a part of. I, I talked to a couple earlier in first service, and I, and I firmly believe this. Like, if you live in Perry Township and you're a part of this church, you're going to be partnering with us some way or another, even if you never set foot on our church on Sunday morning. Um, I believe the Lord's going to use you in that way. And so be praying about that. And then secondly, you know, if you're someone that the Lord's stirring your heart to join us in on this work, you may know us, you may not. I would love to have a conversation with you. And I would love to welcome you to our vision lunch, which is going to be on December 4th after church um, here at Redeemer Bible Church. So more information about that, you can find it at ascendbible.church. But we're going to be doing a vision lunch, which is where we're just going to share our heart for why we're planting in Perry Township. Uh, What led us there? What are we hoping the Lord's going to do? And so we'll be sharing that. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to shift gears into our passage this morning. Father God, I'm just uh, humbled um, that that you would use um, just even a a wretch like me to deliver your word this morning. God, I just pray that you make it clear um, that that as we look at chapter 19, as as you're turning the posture of your people towards you, um, God, would you change our posture? Would, would you make us resemble a posture that's more worshipful? Um, God, would we be a people that expect to hear from you? Um, God, may, may you use your word to illustrate that to us today. Um, God, we believe your word is active and alive. It's not just some old dead book, but it speaks to our heart and souls in this room. God, may it do that. Father God, we pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. 
So today we're making a little bit of a transition. So if you know anything about the book of Exodus, it's split up in two parts. There's the first 19 chapters, and then there's the last uh, 20 or so chapters. And so we're kind of moving from what we're calling from deliverance to dwelling with God. But before we do that, God wants to set the posture of the people of Israel right to hear what's the next passage, which in chapter 20 is what? Does anybody know? The Ten Commandments. So, so God is setting the scene for them to hear the Ten Commandments. He's, he's turning their posture towards him. And, and before we get into that, as I was thinking about this passage, I want to start with just one question. Have you ever thought about what your body language says to somebody else? So yeah, so yeah, we got some yeses in the room. So this, this past summer, I was doing a course in a doctoral program I'm in, and I was required to do 30 hours of LinkedIn learning. Now, who knows what LinkedIn learning is in the room, right? Okay, yeah, if you work in corporate America, I'm sorry for you. You're probably required to do this all the time. But I had to do 30 hours of this. And, and so they just said kind of search what courses interest you. And so I came across this one, and it was called Body Language for Leaders. And, and the point of the course was that your body language says something to the people that you're communicating with. And when I, when I first started, like, getting the little tips and things from the course, I was like, okay, this isn't real. But then I found myself the next Sunday morning after service observing the people I was talking to. And so as I was talking to people, um, there was one tip that they give in there, and this is my favorite one, where they're saying if you're talking to somebody and their feet are pointing away from you, it means that they want out of the conversation. So, so I began to notice, I was like, man, people really want to leave. Like, they don't want to talk to me anymore. You know, and it would go through the other ones we know, like crossing your arms, you know, means that like you're either uncomfortable or it means you're cold, they said. I'm like, well, okay, well, how am I supposed to know which one? But, and, and it would go through these different things and it would say, just be careful of your posture because it says something that you're communicating to the person that you're talking to. Now, I want to take this one step layer because I do believe that our actions, our posture, say something about where our heart is truly at. See, God's about to deliver to them the Ten Commandments, but before he can do that, he needs to make sure that they're ready to hear it. So he gives them instructions. He, he asks them to do things so that they're ready to hear their mes the message. He literally postures them, as we will see before him, ready to hear the word of God. This is where we get the term heart posture. Ever heard anybody use that before? Usually it's kind of a churchy word, but it's, this is what our heart posture is like before God. And so what we're going to see today in this passage, and this is our big idea for this morning, is that God's deliverance leads to worship, and worship leads to a heart that is waiting expectantly for God to speak. So we're going to actively work through the passage as we watch God take them from a position of being a delivered people to literally posturing them before him to hear his word. So let's go ahead and jump in with verse 1. This is Exodus chapter 19, verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the third day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rapidim and came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. Let's pause there for a second. When you think of the people of Israel camping, is there a certain picture that comes to your mind? For me, I think of festivals. 
Like I think of like concert festivals. Does someone be willing to shout one out in the room? What's the first concert festival that comes to mind for you? Yeah, yeah, don't be ashamed. You can say Woodstock or these festivals that you didn't probably go to. I thought of Woodstock myself. So there were 400,000 people camping at Woodstock. There are 600,000 men in the tribe of Israel at this time, which means 2 million people. Now, even if we like take the spiritual side out of this equation, I think they needed some rules and some instruction. Two million people are making camp for the first time. So we need to make sure we have that picture in our mind. If we can get this up here. Um, I spent about an hour this week looking at art for Mount Sinai. Uh, good use of my sermon prep time. But um, there wasn't a ton of it. But I, but I understand it because how hard is it to represent 400 people literally staring at a mountain waiting for God to speak? This is the scene that we should have in our mind. This is no small task to get all of these people ready to hear a word from the Lord. The passage goes on. This is verse 3. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles eagle's wings, and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, you shall be treasured, treasured possession among all peoples. For the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. It goes on. So Moses came and called to the elders of the people, set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Now, before we can get into the heart posture, we have to address what we find in verse 6 in this passage. Exodus chapter uh, 19, verse 6 says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. See, before we get to posture, we have to address the position that God has placed them in. God, for 19 chapters, has been making it evidently clear who he is. Over and over again, he says, I am the one true God. Again, this is, this is why we're looking at this passage, church, is to know more about who God is. He says, I am God. There is no other God. Gods of Egypt, pale in comparison. I am the one true God. We've seen Moses kind of play this role of mediator, where Moses hears a word from the Lord, and then he goes and delivers it to the people. So we see that that consistently is going to play out. But we're introduced to this new role, and this is a role that falls on all of the people of Israel. It says, you will be a nation of priests. Now, this is the first time that this concept is introduced in the Bible. We may understand what a priest is, somebody that offers up, um, you know, burnt offerings or offerings on someone else's behalf. But he doesn't just say, like, you're going to be a kingdom full of priests. He says, you will be a kingdom of priests. See, this passage is so important because for the first time in the history of the world, God is establishing his people, and he's saying, I am going to work through you. 
You have an active role to play Israel. Now, we see this concept carried out later in the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into marvelous light. Revelation 1.6, And made us a kingdom of priests to God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is, this is not the primary point of today's message, but honestly, if you left this morning and all you knew was that God has called me actively into something with him, something that looks like a holy priesthood, that God is going to be ministering in this earth on my behalf, that'd be enough. See, we have to understand that God has positioned us, believers, his people, I don't always know why, but God wants to minister on this earth primarily through us. We worship God for what he's done through his son, and now it is our turn to turn and serve the world as a kingdom of priests on God's behalf. We have to understand the position that we've been placed in. Now I want to talk a little bit about the posture, and, and I'm going to give you these up front, um, Super, super thankful for this. Um, this is one of the things where when you're prepping a sermon, um, you get to kind of taste and see how the Spirit of the Lord is working. Um, I kind of wrote this outline in a devotion time a few weeks back. Um, I hadn't even heard yet um, the Delivered to Dwell song that's written by our church. But, but the outline for the rest of this sermon is going to follow a pattern. And this is a pattern that represents us being delivered to being in a place where we're dwelling with God. And so I want to lay it out for you this morning, and then we're going to work through this each step of this process. See, a heart posture of deliverance leads to remembrance. And a heart posture of remembrance leads to worship. And a heart posture of worship leads to obedience. And a heart posture, posture of worship leads to expectation. Let's go ahead and jump in this morning. Deliverance leads to remembrance. Look back at verse 4 um, for me for a moment. Verse 4 says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. See, God can't simply just ask them to obey. He has that power. I mean, he could, like he's God. He could literally guilt them into obedience. But, but God, what's rather more effective is for God to say, remember what I did for you. Like, like they dwelled in bondage for 430 years. 430 years. They were literally enslaved to the Egyptians. And yet God delivered them from that. So when they stand in faith, they don't stand in faith blindly. They stand in faith based off of what God has done for them. Now let's bring this to us in the room this morning. What has God delivered you from? All of us have at least one answer. But let's think about the little things for a moment, kind of going on the micro side of this. You know, what relationships were you in that you shouldn't have been in? What bad decisions did you get saved from? What communities did God place you in that you weren't even expecting? 
But we have a lot to be grateful to God for. We could go around the room and we could spend probably the rest of our week just saying, you know, this is where I was at and this is what God has done for me. And if nothing even comes to the tip of your mind, maybe you should think a bit about the eternal hope that we have in Jesus. I mean, again, God, regardless of the circumstance we find ourselves in, has offered deliverance that one day we may dwell in peace with him. Praise be to God for that. May God's deliverance lead to remembrance, and then thus point two, may remembrance lead to worship. The passage carries on in verse nine. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that, may peop- that people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the, first, uh, the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of the, all the people and you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall be put to him. No, No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. All right, what's being described here? So God is, in a sense, borrowing from ancient practices of what it looks like when a king is coming to town. God says, as I come to speak... Prepare yourselves. I'm going to create clear rules for you. Now, what's so fascinating about this is that they actually obey him. For now, a little foreshadowing. See, God says, clean your clothes, dress your best, don't get close. Dress and prepare for the occasion. All of this that they're doing is an act of worship. You don't do this for a God you don't believe in, right? So out of their belief in God and who he is, they begin to worship him. So if we apply this to ourselves, a proper understanding of who God is will lead to healthy limits, healthy fear, and reverence. Do we approach God in that way? Like if there was an active word for the Lord in this place, could we actually just be obedient to God and rather not question, well, I don't know if that's what we should do. No, they obey God out of worship to him, which leads us to our next point. Worship leads to obedience. Passage carries on in verse 15. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. We'll come back to that. On the morning of the third day, there was thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and the very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled uh, trembled greatly. This is where I give them grace for not having good paintings, because I don't know how you would draw that. Carries on. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people 
lest they break through the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves. We see this word again. Lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself have warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. I was joking with my wife, this passage ends with kind of the like, dun, dun, dun. Moses goes down to the people, and then he tells them. For Israel, obedience looks like worshiping God the way that he desires. Now, I want to come back to that phrase I kind of pauses on, where it says, do not sleep with a woman. I want to address what was likely your gut reaction in the room. And I don't want to over-belabor this point, but I imagine for many of us, we go, Why? Like, why would God do that? Like, like, we know there's nothing wrong with sleeping with a woman, so why now? Now, I could present to you an argument that talks about that God wants them to be in the most pure version of themselves as he's coming down. I could do that. But I think what's actually better for us in this room is to address why do we even question it? Like, why does our heart posture, again, what we're looking at, take us to a place where we go, well, why would God do that? Again, think about how we take this into our own lives. How often do we not listen to God when he clearly says what he wants because we think, hmm, why would he do that? See, their response is obedience. You go back earlier where it literally says, we're going to do all that he said for us to do. Why? Because he's God. Not because we think it makes sense. Not because it was presented so clearly or so rationally. We obey God because he is God. Think about this with the way we approach God's word. How often do people look at God's word, maybe even some of us in the room we do this, and we go, ah, like, I see what it says, but I'm not going to do that. Rather than the natural response of our heart being obedience to God for who he is, and we do it because he said it, simply put. We don't always need to rationalize things. We obey God because he's God and we do what he puts in his word because it's clear. So think about this. What is your active response to God in worship? Again, it's, it's, it's sometimes easier and sometimes harder. I don't want to belittle this. But when we come in this place, we lift our words and our praises to God. That is worship. Man, we, we're going to be doing that for all of eternity. But it's also worship when you walk out of these doors. And the way that you have the conversation with somebody that's hard at work. Or the way that you raise your kids. See, God makes it clear what obedience looks like, but somehow we've detached that from the act of worship. We go, well, we do it because God knows what's best. True. Like, there's going to be some of that when we get into the Ten Commandments. That we do it because God knows what's best. But we also do it because God said so. And out of worship to him, we will be obedient. Now, I want to pause for a second because I don't want to guilt you. This is actually the point. That guilt 
rarely is a good method to lead to obedience. Now, I, I'm, I'm a parent of like an almost two-year-old, and which means like I don't get this yet, but I'm starting to. Um, guilt rarely works. But in this case with God, worship is what leads to obedience, not guilt. It's not some pastor standing up here with the microphone saying, worship God more. It's, it's from being delivered from what God has led you to, from seeking God in worship. He transforms our heart in such a way that we can't help but be obedient to him. It's a response of worship. So we do that because it's what God has called us to. Now lastly, worship leads to expectation. I want to look back at verse 17. It says, Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Can we get this picture back up here for a second? 600,000 men and women and children stood before a mountain to hear the word of the Lord. God has so transformed their hearts that they're literally standing before a mountain waiting to hear God speak. Does our posture before God resemble anything close to that? Do we have a spirit of expecting God to speak to us? Now, this point's going to be slightly incomplete because the reality is that this passage ends with the words, and then he told them, and it goes to the Ten Commandments. So we're not going to get into what God is going to speak, but I do want to leave us in the spirit of expectation that God is going to deliver his word. That God has postured them in a place that they're ready to hear from him. And I want to ask ourselves, are we in the same position? Do we, as a kingdom of priests, understand that God is active and alive in speaking to us through his word? Do we trust him? I want to end here with a few pieces of application, and then I'm going to take us through a time of prayer. Um, and, and I want to I let you know, too, the time of prayer, feel free to posture yourself however you get comfortable. Sometimes when people pray, they're talking about a little 30-seconder on the end. This might be a little longer than that. So I want to prepare you for that. But before we get to that, I just want to give us a few applications that I think are important from this passage. When the people of God are in right relationship with God, we experience his peace. I think one of the hardest things for us today is to find peace in a world where everything seems uncertain. God has delivered us from bondage and is leading us to dwelling with him. The goal isn't even obedience. In fact, like, the goal is worship, but out of worship becomes dwelling with God. There is no peace apart from dwelling with God. And how do we get to dwell with God? We're delivered by the work of Jesus. How do we taste that on this side of heaven? We walk in worship. We seek obedience. We seek holiness because that's what God calls us to. And we dwell with him. We experience peace when we're in right relationship with God. Secondly, we have the privilege to act in the world for God. 
every single one of us in the room has a role to play in the kingdom. God has gifted you uniquely. He's formed you in your mother's womb, as the psalm says. He knows you. He knows all the hairs on your head. You're good at things that I'm not good at. And God has done that so that his glory may reign on this earth. You have a role to play as a part of the kingdom of God. Then lastly, we dwell with God and therefore our hope and trust is in him, not in anything of this world. Again, I, I'm going to veer off, and this is a little off the script, but you know, when, when we were naming Ascend Bible Church, and I feel a lot of grace that I even get to talk about another church in a church. Praise God for that. Um, but when we were naming Ascend Bible Church, the Lord moved my heart because I looked around and I said, if I just keep my head looking at my feet and I keep myself looking around at all the problems I see in this world, I'm going to get nowhere. But see, the word ascend is, is that God is calling us to ascend to something higher. We don't look to this world. We look to Christ, the one who conquered this world. Because God has delivered us. And now we dwell with him. May we look to God more than we look to the things of this world. So I'm going to lead us through a time of prayer here. And feel free to posture yourself in whatever makes you comfortable. But we're going to literally pray through that outline. And I hope that the Lord brings things to the forefront of your mind. They're like, God, I forgot you did that. Yeah, you did that for me, Lord. God, I, I understand you're calling me to this position this, this role, I don't know exactly what that looks like. Lay those things before the Lord. So let's pray. Father God, we worship you solely. Um, Father, you are our deliverer. There is no other. Father God, through the work of Jesus Christ, you conquered death. God, may we pour our praises out to you because you, God, are the only one who is worthy. God, we thank you for deliverance. Bring now, even in this moment, to the forefront of our mind things that you've delivered us uniquely from, Lord. God, may we be grateful. And Father God, as we reflect on how you've delivered us, God, may we stand in remembrance on those things. We don't own them. We don't take credit. God, we give those things to you. And Father God, may that remembrance lead us to greater worship. God, we praise you that we can come in freedom, we can gather, we can sing your words to you, God, even when it's not easy, when it's hard. But God, may we live a life of worship. May everything we do be motivated by what you have done. Our actions, the way we work, the way we parent, the way we care for our friends, the way we have people over, the way we love our neighbors, the list goes on and on, Lord, but may it be a reflection of our worship to you. May we be a people that metaphorically, we stand before the mountain of God and we expect him to speak. We expect him to lead us. We're not looking for answers in other places. 
God, we repent when we've done that. It's not holy. God, we seek justice for the world. We seek peace. We seek answers for in our own life. But Lord, those answers only come from you. And so we worship you. May we obey you. Transform our hearts to a heart of worship, God, and may it lead to a life of obedience. Like if we're struggling to obey you, God, transform our hearts. We know guilt won't get it done. And Father, we just pray for holy living in this place, reconciled relationships, honesty, peace. May we seek you, Lord, for how we live. And God, I pray for a spirit of expectation. God, we expect you to move. We expect you to speak. Father God, there there are things that you're doing actively in each of our lives. And God, we don't know what those answers are, but God, we know that you're in control. And we even just profess that now, that we trust you, Lord. And, And Father God, even for our church, Lord, we trust you. This is your church. We submit to you. All that we do is an act of worship. And when it's not, God, get us out of the way. We trust you, Lord. And all these things we pray in your son, Jesus' name, amen.